a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a quarterback in the NFL who's the fastest to 100 wins. You're never going to guess who it is. Helmets off is on. Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. Thanks for joining. Appreciate it. Love doing it. Love having you in. Fun show today. We've got, uh, well, we've got a whole NFL discussion. Bilicek Brady, number one. Who won? Who lost? Who cares? Uh, also, uh, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Uh, coach seems to win everywhere he goes. Not winning in Jacksonville, and that got real ugly there. And then... Uh, maybe I'm going to hold off on this last segment to tell you which quarterback is the fastest to 100 regular season wins. I think you'd be surprised. And he might not be the only one you'd be surprised at how good they are. And not necessarily everyone knows about it. Anyways, a lot of fun. Let's get into it. So uh, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady are kind of synonymous, right? Belichick, Brady, Brady, Belichick won a lot of Super Bowls together really created a unique era in professional football, probably never duplicated. And certainly uh, no one is going to touch what, what they have been able to do. Remarkable, really remarkable. It's one of those situations where I think people are like, all right, lightning in a bottle. There's no way that these guys uh, can do this on their own. It's, it's all the combination of all the parts, whether it's Robert Kraft as the owner and, Scott Pioli as the as the personnel director and Bilicek and and having Tom Brady and just that it all just kind of came together in one one setting. There's probably a lot to that, but then Tom Brady goes off to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay that uh, hadn't had a you know really playoff win winning team in 15 20 years, and they go to the Super Bowl win it and it, in his mid 40s Tom Brady's winning his seventh Super Bowl, and now all of a sudden it's like maybe Brady was more of the equation than Belichick. And so this year they have the opportunity to, to, to come back together, right? And uh, it kind of fell flat. Like it kind of was like, you know, the Bucks won and Tom Brady won, but uh, you didn't get a lot out of Tom Brady. You didn't get a lot out of Bill Belichick. And I think that speaks to why they've had such a great career individually together. They just understand there's like certain things that um, you just stay away from. And you see so many of these players we're gonna, and coaches, and we're certainly going to talk about Urban Meyer in the next segment, you know, how, how they stay away from 
being controversial. You know, it, it's a weird thing in the NFL. One of the first meetings you have as a player is talking about the media and how without the media, we have nothing. We have absolutely, you know, no, we don't have the contracts. We don't have the money. We don't have the popularity. We don't have the greatness, the mass appeal of the NFL. So the media is your friend. You got to talk to it. You got to develop your personality. You got to develop a relationship. You got to share your thoughts and feelings and, and, uh, and work in partnership with the media. It's part of the deal. Well, if two people haven't done that more than maybe anybody ever, it's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. They don't give anything to anybody. Now, they may, after the fact, they may down the road, they may, you know, and they'll sit, and they'll, they'll, do, they'll do what's required of them, but they're, they're certainly not going to draw attention to things that um, could in any way inflate, infuriate, energize an opponent, ever, even if it's the two of them. And this is a remarkable thing because of uh, the mass egos involved here. And I don't care what you say, and, you know, Bill Belichick can pretend like he's got his nose to the grindstone and he's just, just you know, just focus on the game, focus on the game and, and whatever, and our opponent, all this stuff. And he's just really bland, never says, never give, gives you anything. The man has an ego, okay? He thinks he's really smart and he is smart and he's really good and he is really good. And he's won all of these championships for a, a reason. Like he just, you know, there, there's, there's a lot there. And Tom Brady has fueled himself for 20 plus years of being this guy who, let's face it, no one gave a shot to. So he's been underdog Tom and mad at the world Tom in a healthy way, not an Aaron Rodgers way. Aaron Rodgers, that's a whole different situation. So for, for these two people to have these massive egos and feel like they're the most important person in the room, they're the most important part of the, com, uh, the, the combination. They were the reason that the Patriots won. And they, all, and they all believe that. And quite frankly, that's what made them all successful is because everyone in that organization thought they were the most important part of the equation. But they, they all work together. And it's that common vision, that common belief, or that you, the people that are your decision makers have that ability to think, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy or the gal or whomever, whatever. And they all had that. And, but, but when they got together uh, apart from one another, some of the, the, the traits or the things that were um, key and vital to them having success, it came out. And I think it's fascinating that it came out in the sense that nothing came out. That's the brilliance of all of it, where they didn't say, you know, let's print a T-shirt if we're the Philadelphia Eagles, it says beat Dallas. I mean, you're going to have everybody in America tuning into that. And when you fall flat on your face, you just look really stupid, really stupid. So to see how brilliant Tom Brady, Bill Belichick are, and that they didn't really say anything, and that says everything, I think is a remarkable statement from 
these two may be the best at whatever they do as a coach and as a, as a quarterback uh, ever in the NFL. They get it. They understand. They understand every possible move to make, and they always make the right one. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. Urban Meyer, who has been, well, let's just say, successful at every stop and successful in quick order, you know, taking years to build things, is really struggling in Jacksonville, and he's now really struggling, maybe for his preservation. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, folks. Welcome back. Helmets off. Scott Mitchell here. Fun, fun stuff today, man. NFL, uh, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and uh, a mystery guest in the third segment. Fastest player to 100 wins in their career. Uh, I'll just give you a hint. It is a quarterback. And the quarterback is playing in the NFL right now. So it leaves it down to certainly not the five rookies that are playing and drafted in the first round. But other than that, eh, it could be anyone. Bet you can't guess. Anyways, uh, but right now we're going to talk about Urban Meyer and um, kind of the storm that he has stepped into uh, in Jacksonville. Now, mind you, Jacksonville's a forgotten place, Okay. And quite frankly, I think people would forget about Urban Meyer in Jacksonville relatively quick if the story that came out had not come out, which tends to lead me to believe this story probably came out for other motivations. And some of those motivations may even be Urban Meyer. The story is about as bad an optic as you can get. With a, a person who talks about self-discipline, talks about, you know, uh, a certain culture of trust, uh, accountability, and, and he goes on national television bullet pointing these things out and then goes and basically speaks by his actions 100% counter to the culture that he believes in. It makes him sound like a fraud. And look, and I'm not here to say I'm perfect because no way, and, and no one is. And if someone had a video of all of the private moments in all of our lives, 
our whole society would be canceled. Everyone would be canceled. Let, let, let us not be fooled, okay? No, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does dumb things. But in a public place with a public figure, you have to know that these types of things are going to happen. Everybody has a phone. There is a camera everywhere, everywhere. You want to, whatever Urban Meyer, go to a foreign country. Because doing it in your bar, restaurant with your name on it, not happening. Not a good look. Not a good thing to do. A bad thing to do. Very, very, very bad. And I have to believe Urban Meyer knows this. right? He knows this. And someone has been sitting on this gold mine waiting. I, I don't know where or why. I don't know if it's Urban Meyer. I don't know if it's somebody else. But this just doesn't haphazardly pop up. Doesn't happen. There is a meaning and a reason for it. So what is the meaning? Well, it, it's really, you know, one of two things. Someone does not like Urban Meyer. And I'm sure he's made enemies along the way. Because there's certainly smoke at pretty much every place he's been. And it could be someone along those lines that uh, has, you know, been burned by Urban. And they go, okay. You know, my mom always said, everyone will get what's coming to them. And the same people that you uh, see on your way up are going to be the same people you see on your way down. And they'll be waving at you. So it could be that. It could be someone out there just going, yeah, this, this, uh, this Urban Meyer, man, he's a, you know, whatever, this, that, who knows? Who knows, right? Or, and this is what I think is the or interesting part about this. Someone in Urban Meyer's camp, maybe not Urban Meyer, maybe someone else, maybe they're trying to create um, a scenario where an exit happens. Now you say, why would you do that to get to exit? Why wouldn't you just say, hey, why wouldn't you just be a Nick Saban and just leave the Miami Dolphins and go to Alabama? And, uh, and you know, maybe maybe that's the case, maybe it isn't, because now, now you're tarnished, right? Well, I, I think Urban Meyer's legacy is tarnished anyways with what happened at uh, Ohio State with the with the the wide receiver coach and the the spousal abuse and the, the deny deniability of all of it with Urban, uh, clearly some of the issues and character issues and things that happened at Florida, and you know, I I'm sure there are things that happened along the way at Utah as well. So so people already think yeah you know Urban Meyer he's whatever. Um, I, you know, people are going to think what they think about Urban Meyer, whether he does it or he doesn't. But it may be one of those ways to kind of exit. And maybe he got into this NFL deal and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
this is not for me. I mean, I mean, Nick Saban, listening to him explain why he left the Miami Dolphins and went to Alabama, I can, I can actually appreciate it now. I couldn't back in the day. I thought he was, you know, selfish and I thought he was, but he, he, he was really honest. He just said, the NFL is not a fit for me. It's not, I, I, I don't like that I can't control who I get. And when they tried to get Drew Brees and they didn't get him and they realized, um, yeah, we, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to have my faith in somebody else's hand. And look what happened to Drew Brees. I mean, you know, brought a Super Bowl to New Orleans, which had never won, let alone had a Super Bowl. And, and you can't argue with the results of, of, of Nick, Nick Saban. And there is only one job for Urban Meyer. I, I really believe that. I, I, believe, I believe if Urban Meyer went to USC, I think he'd win more national championships than maybe he's won already to date. I think he could create an absolute dynasty at USC. And, he, and he's kind of one of the names. Now, now clearly there's some issues going on and maybe USC is like, we would not touch that with a 10 foot pole. We have enough problems with celebrities trying to get on our rowing team that we're not gonna deal with Urban Meyer, but it's so Hollywood, it's such a story and maybe it's one of redemption and all of those blah, blah, blah things that go on because that, that, there, there will be a fall for Urban Meyer, right? And, but there's going to be a redemption because that's just how we write the stories. That's just how it all works out. And it's just one of those things that, that probably has to happen. And I, so, so this whole story, I don't care about what, I mean, I care about what happened. It's just, it's, it's, it's so wrong on so many levels. I just think that I don't think this innocently just came out. I think there was absolute motivation behind it by somebody, whether it was someone that doesn't like Urban Meyer or it was actually Urban Meyer trying to exit from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gonna take a break. We come back. I am going to reveal to you the quarterback, other than the five drafted in the first round this year who is the fastest to 100 wins. Okie dokie, sports fans. Welcome back. It is uh, Helmets Off. I am your host, Scott Mitchell. Thank you. Final segment. A lot of fun. Can't wait to talk about this one. I will leave you uh, no more surprise. Russell Wilson is the fastest quarterback in NFL history to 100 regular season wins. And I think it's shocking to people because look at all the other great quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, John Elway. John Elway went to four Super Bowls. Um, Dan Marino, you know, on and on and on. Uh, but, but, but our guy here, Russell Wilson, the old Northwest, fastest to do it. I think it brings the question of I think a lot of people respect Russell Wilson, right? They think he's, you know, think he's really good. Um, one, you know, won Super Bowls. He's been very productive as a player, but I think he's kind of forgotten. I think he's kind of forgotten because he wasn't that marquee guy on a team from the start, like like a Peyton Man or or what Aaron Rodgers has become uh, in in Green Bay or 
or a number of other quarterbacks, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And, and actually, Ben Roethlisberger may be in the category of Russell Wilson because early on in Ben's career, it was because of Jerome Bettis. It was because of a great defense. That's why they won. And it's a very similar type of model that the Seahawks took to the Super Bowl. So if you're not this marquee winning MVPs, Patrick Mahomes kind of quarterbacks, then you kind of get forgotten. And, and I, I think Ben Roethlisberger is a little, a little bit along those same lines, but I, I think there are other players too, because let's face it, Russell Wilson is an amazing player. And, and then what happens with Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson more likely will end up in the hall of fame, but, but there's debate about it. And I'll, I'll give you another, I'll give you another quarterback more in my era who I think is, is very similar to that. And that, that was Troy Aikman. I, I can remember when uh, Troy Aikman was actually uh, playing for the Cowboys fairly early on in his career. And I was sitting in a meeting watching game film with Dan Marino. And out of the blue, Marino goes, you know who's really playing at a high level right now? It's Troy Aikman. You know, watching all this film, Troy Aikman's like, he's bringing it. And, and I remember thinking the same thing to myself, watching the film, even before Dan said that. But when he said it, it was like, yeah, he really is. I mean, I mean, he is, he is, you know, he's the man. Uh, but he isn't the man. And I, I think there are some people that, you know, does Troy Aikman belong in the Hall of Fame? And I'll tell you, uh, one of the most impressive guys, I think, for me watching was Troy Aikman. Uh, he he was a guy that uh, was doing all that he needed to do, but he didn't have to do everything for the Cowboys to win. Had a great offensive line, great running game, had some amazing wide receivers, especially Michael Irvin. Uh, Jay Novacek was phenomenal. Uh, Moose Johnson out of the backfield. I know that sounds weird, but man, it's it's so helpful to have just all those different options of players to to make plays for you. And then they had a great defense. I mean, just just a phenomenal defense for the Cowboys. So, so yeah, I think I think it's it's just it's so fascinating that you know here you think of these great players, but you know um, they kind of get forgotten. And Troy Aikman wasn't in a market because that that's part of the problem with Russell Wilson is the market he's in. But Troy Aikman was in the Dallas market, which is like four in the country. You know, New York, L.A., Chicago, Dallas, right? And in in NFL's uh, lure Dallas is a big big NFL market the Cowboys to the NFL are a big deal I'll give you a, a couple other names I, I find kind of in similar and they're not necessarily quarterbacks but part of it is the market that they played in kind of minimized and again these are people that are in the Hall of Fame these these aren't people that hey they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame these are great players who really were kind of overlooked or or at least there's not a discussion about them like some of these other players well, the one uh, that and I faced him a lot and he was amazing is Bruce Smith I think arguably one of the greatest players ever in the NFL had a tremendous tremendous career played at a high level for a long time and was just a just an absolute phenomenal player Phenomenal player. 
And I think he's one of those guys you kind of go, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, not, I mean, I don't think there's any hesitation. But a guy like Michael Strahan, no, no offense to Michael Strahan, because he was a great player too. But he plays for the New York Giants. He's in New York. He's on TV. He's like everywhere now. And he was not better than uh, Bruce Smith. And he was good. Don't get me wrong. Michael Strahan was very good. Uh, but just just kind of a different different place that made him so, 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 so much better. Um, you know, you, you think of some of these, you think of some of these small market teams, and I think of the Cincinnati Bengals. And this guy isn't in the Hall of Fame, but it's it's very similar uh, in in how good a player he was, considering that twice a year he had to play the Pittsburgh Steelers at their prime, through the prime of his career. I mean, a team that won four Super Bowls in a very short period of time. And you've got uh, Ken Anderson, who, who uh, coached me, actually, when I was in Cincinnati was a tremendous quarterback, uh, led, led the Bengals to a Super Bowl in 82, came within a hair of winning it, and was an MVP in the league against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it was a tough, it was a tough, tough deal for Ken Anderson. So I, I really think that, um, you know, you, you, you have these players like Russell Wilson, you have a lot of really, really good players in the NFL, and just because of maybe the market they're in or maybe the design and the makeup of their team, they just don't quite get the recognition that some of these other, other players might. And they, and they may even be a lot better at the end, end of the day, but sometimes it's not even a small market or uh, it's a team like the Dallas Cowboys where it really wasn't centered around a guy like Troy Aikman. It really wasn't. It was about that defense. It was about that offensive line. And it was really more about Emmett Smith. But Troy Aikman was was the guy. All right. Well, uh, Helmets Off is now off. Please visit us on Facebook at the Helmets Off Podcast and on Twitter at the Helmets Off Show. Also, we are powered by KSLSports.com. Until then, we'll see you there. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.